You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, where I first met my co-host for today, Daniel Shockey, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Kathy Langham. She is president and CEO of Langham Logistics. And much like our conversation with Ivy Tech president Sue Elsperman, who has a PhD in logistics, which is still incredibly impressive, I cannot wait to hear about what Kathy does what her company does, and how she helps so many people, because I know she does. Our co-host today is Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us, and feel free to take it away. Thanks for having me. And Kathy, thank you so much for coming um, on the show. And I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, particularly girls, which is, you know, what my organization does, I wonder if our listeners maybe need just a really good understanding of what is logistics when when even the name of the company, Langham Logistics, describe for for our listeners, what does that mean? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. And I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for everything you do for the Girl Scouts of Indiana. We appreciate it. Logistics means something different to everybody, but essentially it is the process of getting something from point A to point B. So in my world, it's freight. So it's moving shipments from anywhere to anywhere in the world, or it could be going through a warehouse. So receiving, put away, pick and pack, kitting, light assembly, and then out the door to the the customer or the manufacturer, wherever the next step is in the supply chain. So I can't help but think it's a lot like how Girl Scouts move cookies. It's a lot like how Girl Scouts move cookies. Yeah, so, so they get it from, you know, the raw materials going to the manufacturer who makes the Girl Scout cookies, and then they would go to some distribution model, and then from there, probably by state to the to the Girl Scouts, and then delivered ultimately to the customers. So all your Girl Scouts are part of logistics. They're part Actually, of the I, yep. I can I can see a badge in that, Kathy, between Langham Logistics and Girl Scouts, the movement of the cookie. Um, so so talk about, though, because this is not maybe it is now um, traditional female um, 
I guess, space maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think I've read somewhere where this, you know, this was, this was unusual for a woman to take a leadership and leave college, IU school of, you know, Kelly school of business and go into trucking and freight. I mean, how, how did you know this was your space and what was that like um, for you as you entered into it? And what is it like now? Yeah. Thanks for the question. Well, uh, I was a marketing major with a merchandising minor. So it, it, it wasn't an easy translation into trucking, but uh, going through my senior year at Kelly School, I was interviewing through the business placement office and I really wanted to get into retail. So I wanted to uh, be a retail buyer and work in retail somehow. And then the more I interviewed in that space, the less I thought it was a fit for me, you know, buying handkerchiefs or tablecloths or whatever. So I expanded my net and expanded my search. And one of the companies I interviewed with was a less than truckload common carrier, an LTL carrier uh, out of California. And they were interviewing at IU and they had a pretty good starting salary for a starving college kid, uh, a good training program, good advancement opportunities. So I thought, I'll do this till I figure out what I really want to do and then get into my real career later. And, and then it became your career. Then it became my career. I mean, logistics is one of these uh, industries. Maybe they're all this way, but for me, it sort of gets in your blood and then it's all you want to do. So th- there is so much action going on in logistics uh, that uh, is changing over the years. You know, back in the day when I first started in this, it, it would never hit the C-suite in large corporations. No one ever knew, you know, what percentage cost of the value of the goods was logistics. It was just kind of a hidden little thing in the back that everyone paid for. And then um, as uh things moved on and, and people are looking at costs and they've already taken costs out of other areas, the operation and transportation and warehousing and logistics became front and center. And I would say starting 10 years ago, it's, it's a quarterly discussion now. So it's, it's fun. It's changing. There's a lot to look at. I could talk forever about the, the uh, technology and, and the processes and the people and the carriers and everyone involved in it. And, and you see it, anyone who orders online uh, sees all the complications that go along with supply chain logistics. So is there any part of, so Suez Canal, right? Like we probably, again, the world probably never looked at logistics quite so closely um, until that moment, or maybe even a little during COVID, when suddenly there was definitely um, lack of, has that, do you think that will help or hurt the industry in terms of policy change or infrastructure investment, or just how do you think, again, this recent, maybe more commonplace understanding of logistics and how it impacts us in our lives will impact your business? I think it's a good thing. I mean, we continue to get better. I, you mentioned Suez Canal. It's still a little painful to hear that name, but um, it really did impact the supply chain for 15% of the world. I mean, 15% of customer supply chains were impacted by that problem in the Suez Canal, that, that blocking 
of the canal for, I don't know, eight days or nine days, whatever it was. And did it cause change? Absolutely. Yeah, people are now looking at, we all do business continuity planning. We all do scenario planning around crisis, crisis management. But when something like that happens, that you think um, would never happen, then it causes you to think about a lot of things and how to do them differently. And so I, I think it raised the bar on, uh, you know, when you think about SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, people are spending more time on that, that threat of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID turned us on our ear too, uh, with, with supply chains actually shutting down for a while especially out of China, everything was backlogged. And then when uh, it finally opened up, it took months and months and months to get rid of that backlog. There may still be, you know, ocean containers outside Long Beach trying to, uh, (laughs) trying to dock. So all this, you know, it's really painful, but it causes us to be more creative and nimble and and think differently about the supply chain and, and about changing processes. I know. I think I ordered a couch. It's out there somewhere. I <laughs> did. It's, I, it's nine months, really, to yeah. get anything delivered. Yeah. Um, but Langham Logistics did easily pivot um, in COVID. Um, and again, I'm going to begin to get out of my space of expertise but I do know that um, you did jump into this kind of COVID space and did some things in Arizona and I think California that you recognized early on that for our business to be sustained as well as maybe even grow, how could you, and I don't want to say capitalize, but how could you pivot to make sure that you were in the right place at the right time? Talk to our listeners about that. Well, I think during COVID, uh, companies could react one of two ways. They could either hunker down and just take a step back and, and just kind of wait and watch, or they could get super creative and nimble and move faster. We took the second approach. So inside COVID, we moved from one building to another in California, in California during COVID, and then moved half of a, a California operation to Indiana and also stood up 150,000 square feet in Phoenix, Arizona. So the exciting thing about that, and and I would say we've um, uh, expanded our Indianapolis operation. So uh, taking advantage of, I guess, number one, not letting something like that stop us, in, in fact, pivoting and going faster. Parallel path to all of those changes We took a look at what was happening, especially in the state of Indiana, and thought, how can we help? Yeah, we we love Indiana. Um, We've been here for 30 years. It's our corporate headquarters, and Indiana has been good to us. And when something like this comes up, we want to help. And so the first way we helped was um, taking over all the PPE distribution for the state of Indiana. That started with uh, the governor wanted to take care of companies with under 150 employees first. And so all of them, we created a portal where they could order whatever they needed online, masks, gowns, uh, face shields, um, gloves, all that sort of thing. And we had it in our warehouse and we could fulfill that and get it to them. 
And that expanded into uh, more uh, reagents and test kits and things like that that were going to, I think there were 28 locations around the state that needed that. And we provided the warehousing and then logistics and distribution for that. As we finally came out with the um, vaccines, um, initially the CDC did not want 3PLs, which is the category my business is in, to get involved in the distribution of vaccines. Um, so we, we provided ultra low temp freezers. So we purchased a bunch of ULT freezers that could be used at these many locations around the state or, you know, some of the hospitals that were remote really didn't have the, the storage space on, on premise to help. So we helped with that. And then now today, uh, the CDC has changed that guidance and we are uh, heavily involved in all the vaccine distribution, not only for COVID, but we'll be handling vaccine distribution for other vaccines around the state. So we, we just continued to evolve and try to do the best job we could and by creating technology and portals as, as well as the storage temperature space and, and security, as well as the transportation to get it delivered. That's amazing. And coming when we come out, if we come out of COVID, um, you know, I, I, it's ever evolving. Are these parts of your business that A, one you've learned from will be able to maintain do you feel like um, you're going to learn from this and can teach others? Like what's, what's the continued growth that you learned through all of that? Um, we've learned that there's a need in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number one, there's a need in the market for business continuity. And I don't think these, these viruses are going away anytime soon. So I, uh, I think we still need to do some work on creating a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. You know, what should this look like? You know, we've got storage space today, but is should we be thinking of a longer term solution? Because as other customers come in, we may lose that space um, or send it to another customer. So I, I think we need to work with the state of Indiana to create a longer term solution. Parallel Path, our uh, warehouse in Phoenix is temp controlled. So it's got um, regular temperature like like you're sitting in right now, air conditioning, then it's got a little bit of colder uh, conditioning parameters and then uh, frozen and then deep freeze, negative 70 C freezer. So we are seeing that pharmaceuticals were stuck in the supply chain and the raw materials for pharmaceuticals were stuck in the supply chain outside the U.S., And we're seeing some trends where a lot of these companies, pharma, biologics, even the raw material manufacturers want to be closer to manufacturing. They want to be in the United States. A lot of these large companies do not want to spend CapEx dollars on Mm -hmm. buildings and distribution. They want to spend it on manufacturing and automation and technology. So companies like ours, uh, where we can supply the temp-controlled space and the rigorous quality that is needed for this sort of product, uh, that will continue to grow. So, so that. <laughs> I, I did some math, and when you bought your, or when you entered into your first trucking company, you were like 25, 26 years old. Is that mm-hmm. about right? Yeah. 
how how does that happen? Like, I mean, I'm just thinking of, obviously, I didn't know you then. I know you a little bit now. But what kind of, um, I don't know, talk to us about your college experience. How did you know that? What what made you so bold? Like, I'm thinking about my Girl Scouts who might be listening, right? Like, like, what was that? Yeah. What kind of person were you that led to such early success? and, And what advice might you have, I guess, for a young girl listener? Uh, well, I think in college, number one, I, so my senior year in high school, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. So I went through a whole cancer process in my senior year. I I don't even remember much about my senior year of high school because I was a little focused on this. So when I got to college, I ultimately had to quit first year and go back home and get, get some other things healed. And then got back to school. Well, then I was on a mad dash to to get to school and catch up with my friends. And and then when I left, it was like, you know what? We, you know, we get one life. Let's go for it. And I took this trucking job and three years into it, um, you're right. Women were an, an anomaly and there weren't many. There still aren't a ton, but I was in a sales role. And uh, went through three acquisitions. So my company was bought by another company and bought two more companies. And so I was one of uh, about a dozen salespeople, the only woman, top producer by far, because I, you know, outworked everybody and the lowest paid. And when I found out I was the lowest paid, uh, that gave me some. And by the way, being an anomaly. I had a lot of people trying to hire me. So when that, when I suddenly realized that, that I was not valued uh, at this company, it caused me to reach out and go to another company. They had some new concepts in, in transportation that were sort of interesting, how they priced the space in a trailer. So I went to them and, and then uh, they were bought out very quickly. And, and that new company came to me at 25 and said, we want to try a new concept in, in local terminal management. We want to open a franchise. Would you open our first franchise? So I was single, um, nothing to lose. <laughs> and so I said, of course, I'll, I'll do it. And that's how it started. And okay. so under the franchise umbrella, it's uh, it's a little different. Yeah, yeah, you've got big sister watching over you and, and owning some of the you know, receivables and payables and back office stuff. So you don't have to do that. I, I focus on finding drivers and trucks. And, and the next year I opened another franchise for an air freight forwarding business because I had those trucks come, going around town and just went from there. But I, I would say to the Girl Scouts, you, you know, just you, you can do anything you want. Just say yes. It's not just say no, it's just say yes and, and try it and um, work hard. Mm-hmm. And it will come. You know, take time to listen to people and uh, network and go seek customers, and, and you can build a business. It'll work. So and then, then you went into business with your with your brother and your sister. What is and 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 still are? Is that correct? Still are. Still what are. Was. And so I'm just kind of curious maybe about your parents. Were, was, was any part of your family dynamic in this, I would say, I'm going to say industry, but in any type of related fields that all three of you are now together in this logistics space? Yeah, it was. It even gets better than that. There's five of us in the company. So six kids, 
Mm-hmm. I came from a family of six. My mother was born and raised in Ireland and my father in England. They met in England and then moved to Detroit. And my dad was in automotive. And so mm-hmm. then a six kids in seven years. <laughs> and he was transferred with uh, uh, Allison Transmission down to Indianapolis. So we came down. And um, my, you know, my dad was, uh, he was home at five o'clock every day. He was a draftsman and, you know, he, he went to work, but it wasn't a passion for him. It was just what he did. And he did a great job. And my mother stayed home and babysat for kids to help pay for these six kids. And we went to uh, Catholic school and then, um, then to North Central and, you know, some local, and then some of us down to IU. But, um, then, you know, Margaret, I was, I was in the franchise space and I uh, was looking for someone I could trust, some good help. And my sister was actually in construction, remodeling homes, so another non-traditional. And I asked her to join me and she thankfully said yes. And so that's how it started. And John, who has his master's from Kellogg and, you know, brilliant guy was in Chicago and uh, I was helping us think through expanding what we were doing in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we never did the Louisville deal, but he said, you know, um, I, I'd like to help you guys and come back to a small business as opposed to the Fortune 500 company. So he joined us and we've been together ever since. And I would say it works great 95% of the time. You know, there are those things, there are mm-hmm. those times, but um my parents were never entrepreneurs, but they, you know, taught us to, to love each other and respect each other and take care of each other. And, uh, you know, it's worked well. And I've got another brother who uh, works in our airport operation and a sister who's um, a supervisor in the warehouse. So five of the six of us are in this company. That's all. I mean, that's actually, I mean, it's a great story and it's, it's really cool, actually. When, um, and you've, you've received lots of honors and, um, and gotten to do some really cool things in your career and in our community. But my question actually is, when did you know you kind of, and maybe you haven't, I mean, what's that moment you're like, I've kind of made it. I, this is, this is what I dreamt. I'm, I'm here. This feels, this feels right. (laughs) Has that happened yet for you? And what, or when was that? Happened yet. I mean, (laughs) I will say I love what I do. And, you know, the stage in my career right now, um, yeah, I have friends that are starting to retire. And um, I said to one of my friends, I, I, I'm getting worried that I don't want to retire. And she said, you know what, what you do well is you have a lot of fun too. On the side, you, you do take time off. You do have other, you know, th- interests and things you do. And so, you, you know, it's, it's not like your nose to the grindstone and you have to retire because you're so exhausted. So you, you'll be able to, you know, maybe do that longer. So I, I think, you know, what I see over the next few years with this company, it's straight up. I mean, there, there is a lot going on. So do I feel I made it? I, I'm happy that I've had opportunities in the community to contribute. And I am, honored and so happy with all the people I've met in Indiana and the business leaders and some of your previous podcast people are my closest friends. So it, that's been the big blessing in all this is just the people and the opportunity to, when COVID hits, be able to be at the table and be trusted enough 
to come up with a solution. I, Robert and I often with our guests, you know, the, the topic of Indiana, Indianapolis is such a great place. It's a great place to live, to do business. Um, and so that often is a theme. And it, and it is so interesting how interconnected our guests are. Like, I think it's it's kind of like the six. What's the game? Kevin Bacon. I yep. think uh, there's a six degrees of leadership leaders and legends podcast guests because a lot of them have been around the same tables. Yes. University successes. Um, one of those tables that you got to sit around co-chair is the Super Bowl, which I, I just think I, growing up here, leaving here, talking about my, you know, what I do professionally. I always feel like when I say Indiana, people look at you like it's rural. And I always follow up with, we're one of the largest cities in the country. We hosted the Super Bowl. I mean, it's it was huge. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Talk to us about that experience um, in, in any way you want, because that's just super cool that you got to participate in such a high level way. Yeah, thanks. It was super cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mark Miles chaired it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison Melanchthon was president and she was sort of the, the staff side of it and uh, both rock stars. And then I was vice chair with along with uh, John Licklider from Lilly. Um, in my role, the biggest part of my role was to raise money, raise $27 million to bring the game uh, from private entities. So mm-hmm. no government funding. Um, it was it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. I mean, of course, I, I'm with the A-team there and, and I learned so much from them personally as well as professionally. And one one big learning I had. If you want to get to see any CEO in the state of Indiana, there's one word you have to say, and that's Super Bowl. <laughs> and they will let you in and they will talk to you. And, you know, everyone was so excited about the Super Bowl coming. And of course, Allison and the whole ops team did such an outstanding job that it was an easy sell for me. So, I mean, I had the best job of all. I got to, you know, go meet with cool people and talk to them about arguably one of the biggest things that ever happened in Indiana, I'd say at least since the Pan Am games. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the, the downside is asking them for money, which I've never been good at, but um, I've never liked doing. <laughs> but but a lot of people said yes, and, and we met our goal, and we were actually we met our goal before we won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the brilliant things that Mark and team came up with was let's take our commitment letters that says we have this much money already committed, take it to the, the NFL and use it as part of our, our pitch and mm-hmm. our argument that we should come to Indy. It's already paid for. Yeah. I mean, unity is already all in and it worked. It was fantastic. And the weather, you know, I don't know if you're here for it. Yes. The weather was perfect. It was just the zip lines, the parties, you know, and everyone, they did such a good job involving everyone in the community. It was just such a big thing that, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever, you know, have the chance to do that again. We went after 18 mm-hmm. in that. Uh, I don't know if uh, we'll ever do it again, but it was fantastic. A lot of fun. And and like I said, those people are still my, some of my closest friends today. Yeah, that's and you're right. Mark and Allison talked very fondly of it as well when they were guests on the show. Um, I think even Allison talked a little bit about the 18 bid and, you know, you know, kind of what went there. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascinating part of our city's story. So. 
Robert, this is where I feel like you always want to chime in. She mentioned your favorite thing, the Pan Am games. I, I don't oh. know how old I was, but. Well, no, the McGinley's Golden Ace Thin is my favorite thing, which we oh. get out of the way at the beginning. Uh, but as you may recall, Danielle, I had the opportunity to interview Greg Ballard, Mark Miles, and uh, the incomparable Mel Raines about the Super Bowl bid, like what what it took to make it happen. And Kathy, if you haven't heard that podcast, I'll have I'll send it along. But it was a just a terrific deep dive into what it took. And and then not only to get it, but quite frankly, from a logistics point of view. And I'm actually trying to put together a podcast on uh, the NCAA tournament and what it took to to pull that off. And I'm 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 hoping I can uh, convince my friend Susan Boffman to come on and to uh, be a part of that. But um, so much of what Danielle said in her questions were written on this sheet of paper I have in front of me. So I'm going to thank our sponsors that I'm going to come up with some different questions since Danielle stole so many and the, the matriarchy took my questions. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Kathy Langham. Our co-host is Danielle Shockey. Kathy, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire? Hmm. Well, there are so many, but there is one that stands above all others. And that would be Mitch Daniels. Uh, he, he is brilliant. Uh, he's uh, I've, I've always thought of him. He, he is the person that is three steps above uh, or beyond in front of everybody in, in terms of thinking. But he's so uh, kind of off shucks and laid back that he would never, you know, throw that in your face. But when he was governor, um, he did some amazing things to the state, which we are still in the position we're in today. We've had a couple of great governors. Eric Holcomb's fantastic. And I would say, uh, you know, the initiatives that Mitch put in place were outstanding. The the um, the toll road, you know, where we've got four billion dollars for that for infrastructure was incredible. I think he um, he he taught Hoosiers that we can be better, that we can be leaders in the country. You know, he he had sayings like aim higher and good is not good enough that had us all think twice you know just when you think you've got there let's raise the bar let's do better and i i think a lot of those things still resonate today i you know and he's doing amazing things at purdue so when i think of mitch uh, and even you know he and i met in an unusual way and, and you know i see him once in a while maybe once a quarter but i was uh I was trying to do business with Eli Lilly when he was back there. Uh, and I had, I won a bunch of business. And, and then my contact at Lilly said, well, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take it away from you because there's a guy, an executive at Lilly that knows somebody else that's a competitor of yours. So, you know, so they're going to get, 
you know, he's, we're going to stop everything, give them a chance to get on this business. And I was horrified. A little company like mine, I mean, doing business with Lily was a big deal. So I went back to him and said, well, who is this guy that knows somebody else that is taking this business away that you've already given me? He said, his name's Mitch Daniels. So I said, well, um, do you have his phone number? I'm going to, I'm going to give him a call and talk to him about it. So he said, and luckily my person was very open and said, sure, here's the number. So I got to Maggie, who is Mitch's uh, assistant. And she, uh, she said, I, Mitch can give you 10 minutes, two weeks from today. He said, I'll take it. So we put it on the calendar. I got to that two weeks and I talked to Mitch and I told him who I was, you know, we've got this trucking company, we're doing great things. And suddenly everything's on hold. And he said, I don't, I don't know a competitor. He said, in our business, when we, when you're an executive at a big company, sometimes people think they heard something or they've misinterpreted something. And all of a sudden it's like a snowball rolling down the hill and everything changes. So he said, I, you know, I feel terrible about this. What can I do? And, and, what would be better music to a young entrepreneur's ears than to have Mitch Daniels say, what can I do to, you know, make it up to you? And so I said, well, you can have lunch with me and let me tell you more about my company and, and get to know you. And so we've been friends since. <laughs> and I held on to the business too. <laughs> <laughs> He's come on the podcast twice. Right. And once to talk about his career before governor, and then we spent an hour a little bit more talking about his time as governor. And I reminded him uh, when I was communications director at the Indiana Republican Party, I was at a Lincoln Day. I think it was the Allen County Lincoln Day. And and uh, I reminded him of something he said that night. And that was that he was under all this criticism because, you know, his first couple of years in office uh, were a little bit rocky. I think that's a fair uh, statement, at least in terms of the election results in 2006 and Hoosiers being somewhat reluctant to follow this trailblazer for like very active, very uh, astute trailblazer. And he said something at the dinner that in the midst of all of the criticism, a woman had come up to him and said, don't worry, Mitch, dogs don't bark at parked cars. <laughs> Great. And he started laughing, but he goes, I remember hearing that, but I don't remember saying it. And I'm like, oh, it got a lot of applause. And from a business perspective, without being critical, obviously, of anyone who came before him, how was the Mitch Daniels effect uh, manifested in your own business, in your own industry? Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I think it is for my own business personally, it's that notion, uh, that vision of aiming higher and going bigger and working harder and building a stronger team around me. Um, for the state, I, I think it's too, it's not exactly hubris, but it's, it's that confidence that we are doing amazing things and Indiana can do that. And I think it, it, he created a sort of an inner confidence for all of us to, to aim higher to grow bigger. And our company continues to grow today. You mentioned um, North Central, your high school alma mater. And since we're talking about Mitch Daniels for a second, who also went to North Central, we've had several North Central graduates on the podcast. Jeff Smolian. Yeah. Bart Peterson. 
obviously Bart, Mitch Daniel. We're in the same class. That was my next question. You and Peterson had to have been pretty close given the year you graduated. Yes. Yeah. Great guy. Fantastic. Um, oh, Babyface was in our class too, by the way. Really? Singer Babyface was mm-hmm. in our class at North Central. And hasn't Babyface come back to North Central and given back to the music program and done some some small music events? Um, I, I Probably. I don't know that for a fact, but he has actually come to some of the reunions. Yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that he has. And uh, again, just uh, um, Indianapolis has just birthed so many amazing, amazing people who love this place and give back to it, which is cool. Well, I, I think well, Indiana always creates this. I mean, welcoming environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these people you've just named, um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, North Central had something to do with it, but there, there is an energy around Indiana that people are excited to meet each other and they're listening and looking for what's good in each other. And it's created an opportunity even for outsiders, people moving into Indiana to plug in and, and be valued quickly. So either in your role, I'm sorry, Robert, go ahead. No, that's all right, Danielle. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to ask either in this role now, Kathy, or you served, I think, a six-year term on the Indiana Economic Development Corp also. Um, And as I think about workforce of the future, and we're talking about Indianapolis, Indiana is a great place to live and work. But how do we convince people of that? A, as we're thinking about um, the job market. And so, again, answer from any lens you want. But is finding um, a workforce a challenge? Um, and how can Indiana combat that? Um, again, so just kind of curious on your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did serve on the IEDC for six or eight years with Mitch. Uh, one quick Mitch story, and then I'll, I'll get into workforce. But um, so when he was elected governor, I met with he and Harry Gonzo about, yeah. Kathy, thanks. You're a good supporter. You know, is there anything, you know, any way we can utilize you in the administration? And I said, I don't know what that would be. I'm, you know, I've got this business I'm trying to grow. I said, but I will do anything. I will come in at night and empty trash cans for you. I will do whatever it takes to uh, help you and help the state move forward. And then he asked me to join the IEDC board. <laughs> So, which was an amazing, uh, incredible opportunity. And I, I loved, you know, the energy and the creativity. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. They had, uh, talk about economic development. I mean, they had, we had uh, uh, road signs, you know, and banners on, you know, in Illinois that says, are you Illinois? Come to Indiana. You know, just super cute marketing campaigns and, you know, the realization that, you uh, the, the states around us were struggling, so why not come to Indiana? And um, we still need to do that, but there, are, you know, I think it's, I think COVID has actually, a lot of our kids who have graduated from college, they want to go to New York, Atlanta, and then they spent the last year in a little tiny apartment in downtown New York. Gonna, they want to come back, you know, they want to come back to Indiana, so I I think we leverage all that. You know, we're doing so many amazing things. I've also been honored to be part of CICP for many years. And that organization just is is trying to uh, uh, coalesce, you know, industries like 
logistics and advanced manufacturing and and uh, make make Indi- Indiana a hub for that. That brings people back. I mean, leveraging that technology, uh, standing up 16 Tech and making that a destination in Indiana. Um, just so many uh, organizations, biotech organizations, biocrossroads, uh, all these things are huge opportunities for young people or any age you know, to come back to Indiana and add value. And yeah, the best thing we can do is just continue to leverage it. I know Mike Langelier, you know, who runs technology, TechPoint, uh, does a good job at that every year, trying to bring people in for kids, college kids, for a few weeks at a time to really experience Indiana. Um, the workforce situations are tough, mm-hmm. you know. And I would say we've we've stumbled. Indianapolis has stumbled in the last year. You know, we we um, had those riots that we didn't handle very well. That that hurt us. Um, a lot. I, I'm interviewing a COO for my business, and had an interview with someone in Florida. After that, uh, a couple of weeks ago, those those guys with the automatic weapons were downtown marching, uh, and he said, "I saw that on the news. I'm not coming. I'm not interested." Mm-hmm. And I mean, I went back to him and said, "I was in town. I didn't even see that on the news. It seemed like such a small. I didn't really catch it, but." We're, we've got to fix what's going on, uh, in especially in, in Indianapolis, in order to continue to uh, get people here. Because yeah. it is the kind of, I mean, it's an amazing place to spend time, but it, it, I agree. Right now, there's, there's some challenges. We've got some challenges, and we can get through them, and for all the reasons we've been talking about for the last mm-hmm. 45 minutes, but they, um, we've got some things to help it, that hurt us. You know, our workforce... You know, we have seventy um, percent of our people are essential workers, so they never left last year. They're working in the warehouse picking orders. Um, you know, we had to take good care of them and make sure they were super comfortable and wearing masks and A teams and B teams and social distancing and using separate break rooms and that sort of thing. Uh, I think we need to continue to take care of everybody. And um, to, this afternoon, we're bringing in ice cream for everybody. You know, do the things that help our workforce feel um, supported and feel valued, uh, and then just try to try to create an environment in the community where we can attract the right people and they want to come to come to work. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Robert, I cut you off before. Where were you headed? You mentioned uh, some North Central folks. We should also, of course, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Mr. Mark Miles from North Central and someone whom we'd love to have on, and that is uh, Deborah Daniels, who also is a North Central grad. Yeah. So going from the North Central Mafia to the IU Mafia, in reading, uh, doing some research, I, I see that you had the unfortunate, perhaps, circumstance of starting at IU the year after they won the national championship in 76 and graduating from IU the year before they won the championship in 1981. 
what was your IU experience like? And had, have you uh, struck up a friendship or do you know the current coach of IU basketball, Mike Woodson, who was in your class? Yeah, um, good questions. IU, so the, the good thing for me is having older brothers. So even before I was at IU, my brothers were there. So I didn't miss much in terms of uh, winning the national championship <laughs> and having the opportunity to celebrate <laughs> down there with everybody. Um, IU is fantastic. I, 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 like I said, I, I had some health challenges I was fighting back then, but it, it, the campus is gorgeous. Um, the professors are great. You know, I love the school of business. Love the hyper building. That was my hangout when I was there. I spent a lot of time there and, um, you, you know, worked in the dorms and lived in the dorms and, and then into apartments. But it was a wonderful place. I still spend time there. Uh, I, I go down a couple of times a year and maybe sit in on a class or help with a class or, you know, donate to an entrepreneurship student. I have an annual donation I make there. I, I love uh the organization. I'm excited about Mike Woodson. I think, you know, I I think it'll be a lot of fun to bring, bring back some, some Bobby Knight era. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I'm crossing my fingers. I've reached out to them and he's, (laughs) he's very busy of course, but you know, all these things you're saying are warming Jim Morris's heart, wherever he is right now. Yes, please, Jim. That would be a good call. We all love Bobby. I mean, I love Bobby Knight. I, he, he's, you know, maybe not perfect. None of us are, but he was fantastic. And I, I will say, uh, you know, my my mom passed away from cancer. She uh, she was an avid, like I said, from born and raised in Ireland. Big Bobby Knight fan. We were in college. She would sit in front of the TV with a holy candle, saying the rosary, uh, watching watching the IU games. And when she got sick uh, in the hospital, Bobby actually came to see her. Oh, we yeah, we had a friend that knew him and I I didn't even know it was happening, but um, contacted and he came to see her and gave her an autograph picture and that kind of thing. And it just I mean, it was a highlight of her life. It was keeping the IU connection up and running. One of our previous podcast guests was the uber talented Nate Feltman. Yes. Who I'm assuming you worked with at the IEDC. Uh, Nate is, I hate to say, I don't know if he's younger than me. He may be, I'm 53. I don't think he's my age or maybe he's a few years older. I don't know, but it's that kind of talent that Mitch Daniels incubated and the list goes on and on. So many people uh, who, who had their careers take off accelerated by Mitch Daniels. And, and it happens with Greg Ballard and Bart Peterson and Evan Bayh. I mean, the list goes on and on. But in terms of just the talent that Governor Daniels fostered and promoted, how much of an impact do you think that's made on the state? I think massive, massive. If, if you talk to anyone who's worked for Mitch, I won't name names, but I will say <laughs> they've never worked harder in their life than they did when they worked for him. And they never had more fun, you know, and they never felt like they made a bigger impact. So, I mean, to learn that at the front line and especially when you think uh, the younger crowd doesn't quite get it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
I, and then a group a group stood up the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation to continue yeah. to try to sustain that with the with the younger people. But I think he's made a massive impact. I mean, Chad Pittman, you know, uh, Nate's fantastic. I'm trying to lure him onto the economic club right now. Uh, he did join. Thanks, Nate, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, but a lot of great, great people that have continued to be involved. Ryan Kitschall, I mean, it, the list goes on of people that were his mentees that have continued to go on and make a massive dis- difference in the state. And we should mention that my friend, our friend, Chad Pittman, is also one hell of a patriot with tours overseas serving yeah. in this country. Yes. While you were at IU, a, a, a famous event took place and that was the filming of the movie breaking away yes do you remember that at all see the movie or watching them film the movie or just the buzz around campus yeah it was more the buzz around campus i didn't you know go on try to get on set or anything like that but how exciting was that and i think it you know it just continued to put put us on the map uh we we need a movie like that for trucking by the way to make truck drivers cool again uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, Smoke. I, we need the new Smokey and the Bandit. But yeah, that was a great time at IU and a, a, a lot of excitement, a lot going on, a lot of fun. It's a little different than college campuses now. So Kathy, you, you give me <laughs> well, hope. I, I have a daughter graduating with a degree in entrepreneurship and I'm scared to death. Like, what are you going to do with that? And so listening to you and what you said about IU, it, it gives me great hope. She has one. She's in her last year. Oh, yay. Kathy, uh, one last question before we get to the, there's two questions I want to ask very quickly before we get to the five questions. Uh, One is my father was a truck driver for 34 years, Kroger and yellow freight. Oh yes. And you saw a different, a more honorable attitude towards what was called front what we're called and are called frontline workers because of COVID did a part of that just warm your heart because you know how hard they work in these very stressful and important jobs. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, most of our workforce are frontline and they work hard every day. And by the way, some of them go to other jobs after they leave here. I mean, those are the people that uh, we owe it all to. So yeah, those frontline workers are, have been awesome through all this and um, and continue to be. I mean, and, and you know, we got to worry about the stress level. And, and like I said, let's bring them ice cream. Let's tell them thank you. Let's give them bonuses. Let's do whatever we can to support them. And as far as the drivers go, over the red drivers, that used to be, I mean, it, it's not thought of as the honorable job that it used to be and it should be i mean you're delivering everything in the country you're making the country move and and we've we've lost that a little bit we need to get it back the average age of a truck driver is 55 now yeah i believe it and the second question i have before we get to danielle's five questions is being an xbe myself i'm a vbe a veteran business enterprise um, I get some advantages uh, for my veteran status and they kind of come, I'm going to say without stigma or without reservations. 
But I know uh, women in minority businesses who look at their status, their M status, MBE or WBE status as a benefit, but they're also a little bit scared of being pigeonholed. They can just be involved because we need a minority or we just need a woman. That's a, that's a real worry and set of concerns because it can be somewhat limiting. Mm-hmm. How have you broken through that, A, if you have, and B, what would be your words to the MBE or the WBE who's worried about being put in this particular box and not being trusted to work on their own? Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think our first 10 years or 12 years, we were not a WBE. I, we, we didn't get our certification. We did not announce it or wear it on our sleeve or anything like that. We just worked hard for our customers. And someone gave me some advice once when you're, when you're, when you're small, you're going to have your customers, they're going to have you, you will take care of each other. But as you become a, yeah, for me, 10, 15, 20, $30 million company, you're, you're like a squirrel crossing the interstate. I mean, People are gunning for you and they are going to are huge billion, multi-billion dollar competitors and they're going to use whatever they have to uh, uh, compete against you. And so you need to use what you have. So I would say get certified. It's a lot of work. But having said that, do not lead with that and do not think that's why, you know, treat yourself with the respect that you do a great job. And your customers will treat you with that too. And that, you know, WBE, MBE, BBE is, is icing on the cake, but I wouldn't leave with it. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of minority and woman-owned businesses that say, well, I don't want to be thought of that way, but it's the first thing they say out of their mouth when they're talking to a customer. You know, so, so think about how you're approaching it yourself uh, before you go to a customer. Thank you very much for that, Danielle. It's the right. floor is yours. Oh, gosh. Okay. These are the, the fast, fun five questions. Um, what was your first job? Oh, gosh. I was a waitress at Coney's Restaurant in Castleton Square. All right. How about your first concert? ZZ Top. Loved it. Robert, Robert anything to say? He always has something to say about music choices people have. Oh. Well, uh, that's that's a plus, and we we mourn the uh, Dusty who just uh, passed away, the bassist from ZZ Top. Oh, really? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What a great group! All right. What about what kind of um, what book would you recommend that you think is one that's made a difference for you, or just a book that you love? I don't want to get political, but the, the one that comes to mind is Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand. So Robert, she, she, so she ran a transportation company, uh-huh. a railroad. And then, and then just, uh, so it's, it's a story about the, uh, have you read it? I have not. Okay. So it's, it's a, a popular story. choice. It's a popular choice for this question. Yeah. Oh, is it? So it, it's a story about how uh, the country changed and forced all the large business owners and CEOs to pay for everything else that was going on in the country and had a lot of people that felt like they should get money for not working and not doing anything. And so I, I won't blow the, the end of the book, but mm-hmm. a big move was made. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes me want to read it. So there you go. You did a great job. It's about this thick though. It's, it's a thick one, but it's worth okay. it. 
Does it come in a docudrama? Is it going to come out on Netflix? Half the movie, uh, half the book was made into a movie. And for whatever reason, the second half was not. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this kind of, the fourth question is about history. So if you could be present and witness a moment in history, what moment would you choose? Hmm. Wow. I guess the wall coming down. You probably hear that a lot, but that would have been something to see, to witness. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And then this one is about someone who might still be living. Somebody that if you could have off the record lunch with for two hours and just get to know them and talk to them, who would you choose? Oh, gosh, that is a tough one. I don't know. I I guess I would say if I had to just pick someone out, um, George Bush. That's a popular answer. I think he and he and President Obama are are uh, okay are neck and neck. Uh, but that's a very that's a very popular answer. You have been listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Kathy Langham, President and CEO of the company that bears her name, Langham Logistics, and our co-host has been Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Thank you both very much for your time. I enjoyed the discussion, and go Hoosiers! Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.